Hello, I'm Maya Brown, and this is Stories from the Brink. This podcast is about giving voice to personal stories of overcoming challenges in life with grace and humor. Because stories bring us together, and together we all win. So today's episode is about a career-related challenge that Andrea Denuncio, president of Lashify, and a dear friend of mine faced over the last year. Andrea has been in the beauty industry for over 20 years. She has worked with Fortune 500 companies as well as those backed by private equity firms such as L'Oreal, Laura Mercier, Neutrogena. He was also CEO of Dermaflash and general manager of North America for Illumage Beauty, which is a Unilever Ventures company. She successfully turned around and restructured both organizations, resulting in record sales and profit. Andrea, we're honored to have you here with us today. How are you? Thank you, Maya. I'm great. I'm great. And I'm I'm actually so honored and privileged to be speaking with you. You're one of my most favorite people. So thank you. Same here. Aside from being one of my most favorite people, you are part of a very small group of people. Do you know... How many women are there who are CEOs of companies in America? I don't actually know the number. I know that fortunately, the good news is it's growing. That's true. And there are now organizations that um, have been established to support that growth. Um, right. One of which I was a founding member of, member of. It's called Chief. And it's a group that's uh, dedicated, a professional organization dedicated to elevating women in, in business across all different categories, not-for-profit, profit, publicly traded, et cetera. Right. It, it is, believe it or not, it's, it's a newer concept, um, which in 2021 is, is pretty hard to believe. It is hard to believe. And yet, given that we've been friends for so long and I've seen how hard you have worked, I absolutely believe it. I looked at the calendar and it turns out that a year ago today, you and I had lunch. Yes, I remember. The day oh before the, the national emergency was declared, right? And it was, we had lunch in Soho. It was yeah. crazy. It was crazy. And everyone was starting to get really freaked out and you could feel it, right? Yes. And I left the city the next day. So exactly. you know, I live in, in New York City and I left the city the very next day, because you could feel that there was something, you know, very unknown and very scary coming. Exactly. And also, you arrived at lunch because you were sort of, as this national crisis was happening, you were also handling a crisis closer to yourself. What was happening in your world? So many people were experiencing sort of the same challenge, which is, how do you lead a team? Uh, how do you lead an organization when there's so much uncertainty? And how do you inspire people to follow your lead? And there was a lot of panic that was happening um, at, at the organization. And, uh, you know, people were wondering what's going to happen? What's going to happen to our business? Are we, are we, you know, how long is this uh, COVID crisis going to happen? Are we going to get laid off? And as a leader, it's, you know, your number, you know, I think your number one responsibility uh, is to your employees uh, and of course the customer, but you have to really be thoughtful about making sure that you take care of all those people that come to work every day and are relying on the company um, to right. pay their bills. 
and also relying on on the leader to provide a steady hand and uh, sort of confidence that there's a path moving forward. Right. So you had just started, had you just started your new position then at Lashify? No, 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 I, I hadn't. I was actually, this was all related to, to Dermaflash and um, it's a, it's a beauty company based in Chicago. And we had about half of the volume that the company did was online and the other half was in brick and mortar and Mm -hmm. or other channels of distribution and so the the impact of covid was was again just very much unknown and we didn't know if if it was going to be a big negative for the business and you know ultimately it turned out to be a real positive um because the products that are offered by the company service people who we're doing DIY beauty, but right. at that moment in time, it was, it was definitely something that we didn't know. But at some point, even though the huge pandemic is going on out in the world and lots of companies are having to lay off people and their sales are plummeting, you guys somehow managed to do incredibly well. And not only that, but you managed to have another company come and steal you away. That's amazing. First of all, Weren't you scared? Well, I mean, it's a couple of things. One of the beauties of what we ended up doing was really putting a plan forward um, at Dermaflash so that uh, we can have visibility. So, so what I ended up doing with the team is putting together like a worst case scenario plan. And this was in March when everyone was frightened and no one knew what was going to happen. And the beauty of it is it ended up not being a worst case scenario. It ended up you know, being a positive solution for people who were stuck at home. So it wasn't something that was needed at the time. But um, yeah, it was, um, it was really much triaging to make sure that the company was prepared for the worst um, case scenario, if indeed that happened. And then of course, I was uh, connected through a very dear friend of mine, which which goes to the importance of having relationships. He's a, a famous makeup artist. Right. And he's the one who introduced me to the founder of Lashify. Right. And I am someone who is just a, a dedicated lash addict. Yes, and you are. With, I can with, affirm. With, <laughs> so, and so with that and with the pandemic, I had been going to get my lash extensions for 10 years. I had gone every two weeks to get them applied by a technician. Wow. And wow. obviously with COVID, and with COVID, that wasn't, I know. It was, Crisis. I, 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 have to, I mean, it sounds, you know, it, you know, you have to be, when you're leading an organization, you obviously have to be, you know, very, very much business focused and professional. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, you can't be feminine and care about your appearance. And I just, loved my lash extensions. That's like your confidence thing. You have to have it, right? Yeah. It just made me feel good. So every two weeks I would go and get them the lashes touched up. Okay. And so then this happens and you can't. And what happens? And I can't and I was and so I'm on the phone with my friend Mateen, who's a celebrity <laughs> makeup artist. And he's right. like he's like, darling, darling, lashify. And I was like, Lashify. And so he introduced me to the brand. And then he's like, you have to meet the founder. You are the yin to her yang. I can feel it. 
Okay, so when was that? Like, what month was this when this, this happened? In May. Yeah, okay. this is in May. <laughs> the middle like, of like the worst of the pandemic, right? Like yeah, everyone's freaking yeah. out. Everyone's locked in at home. Yeah. So yeah. So he, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I mean, I tried the product. Wow. I loved the product. And then I got on the phone with the founder, and we just um, had great, you know, had a great chemistry and a great connection, and I loved what she was doing with the business. Um, Amazing. Uh, the business is 100% online, which again was, you know, if you think about all of the different uh, across industries, the brands and businesses that did well during COVID were those that were online businesses. So right. she had built this business over the course of three years and it was 100% um, GTC, direct to consumer wow. online. So it was uh, in a really solid place. And she was looking for a partner to come on and help her build it and scale it you know, and take the business to the next level. And that's something that I've done over the course of my career, particularly in the last 10 years, where I've worked directly with founders of early stage companies and, and really help them, um, you know, I would say professionalize the organization, bring in new, new ways of doing things so that they can be bigger and they can go global and, and putting sort of all of that infrastructure in place and, and the planning in place in order to do so. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And it's, really been just amazing. But, wait, but this is another like star alignment of stars because you're you're coming into this business that has been predominantly online but then you're going to scale it and take it to the next level does that is that going to include some physical footprint presence after the pandemic yeah it's a great question i mean it's certainly something that we've we've talked about hmm. um she executed a pop-up store in soho uh, yes. over a year ago Right. And that pop-up was really successful because the experience of having a technician there, and, and we do all of this uh, through through online chat and video chat, but actually having a physical presence is great for those people who really want that in-person experience. Now, obviously, right. with COVID, we're, we're not doing that, right? but we certainly have had those conversations. And, our, and as we think forward, it is part of um, our long-term planning is to have um, these uh, pop-ups throughout the country, maybe even internationally, right. where right. people can go and have that experience in person versus just uh, virtual. Right. Well, this all sounds fantastic. Um, just changing gears a little bit, when you were younger and you were just starting on your way to what has become a phenomenally successful career, what advice would you have given yourself when you were like 20 with regard to work? Uh, I think the, well, it's a really good question. Let me think for a second. So what would I have told myself? Well, I would have told myself to work really hard because I don't know anyone who's been really successful who hasn't just focused on the work and right. working really, really hard. Right. And I would say I would tell myself to not focus on any of the noise around you. I think that uh, regardless if it's a big organization or a small organization, there can be politics. Um, there can be people who maybe have different ethics than you do. And what I would tell myself is just continue to focus on doing really fantastic quality of work because right. at the end of the day, that comes through, that shines through. And what I've seen now over the course of a 20-some year career is that organizations end up really valuing those people the most. And right. the folks that tried to take someone down or 
do something shady or undermine other their peers at work, they end up getting washed out. Yeah, that never really works well, does it? It does sometimes in the short term. Like I've seen, I in mean, the short I, term. I mean, yeah. on the short term, I've seen, I've seen people, you know, have short term wins by doing things that maybe you know you and I wouldn't do, but. Yeah. But not long term. Long term, because your reputation matters, whether or not people want to work with you matters, having a group of people who are really smart and supportive of you and vice versa, that you're supportive of them, particularly mm-hmm. as you grow in your career. Right. Uh, having that support network professionally, just like you do right. have in your personal life, becomes right. critically important. So, I mean, I feel really fortunate today because I was on a call earlier this morning with one of the folks on the team who runs digital and e-com and we have a need. And I am, you know, I was able to say, oh, wait a minute, I'm a friend of mine who's really excellent at this. Let me just reach out to them. So sort of building that relationship with other people within your community or industry um, becomes that much more valuable. Um, just to circle back to something we were talking about earlier, and I think that it also highlights something really important about your your point of view that might be helpful to people. Do you know that it, only 7.4% of the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, according to Fortune magazine, only 7.4% of CEOs are women in the United States. But you never even really think about that. I don't. Why is that? I, you know, I, I just think about doing what I love and not looking around and focusing on great work product and building great teams. Uh, And I don't worry about everything else that's going on around me quite so much. I mean, I'm more aware. I've always been aware that Mm -hmm. there are fewer women. Right. um, But I don't focus on it. And I also, and I have, I've always been very supportive of other women in the workplace. I had a boss years ago at Neutrogena. Uh, Her name's Margaret Alellis. She's Mm -hmm. now retired. And I, you know, I had great female bosses and I had not so great female bosses. Right. And she happened to be one of the great ones. And when I interviewed with her, she said, you know, Andrea, I'm looking for someone that I can coach and train so that you can take my job within two years. That's so fantastic. Yeah. It it resonated with me because I had been in other teams and organizations where the female leadership wasn't elevating female talent. And it was because they thought that there wasn't room for more women at the top. And so sad. Yeah. But I think it was very real. And if you talk to women, maybe a generation above us, a generation older than us, it was very much the case. So our generation was sort of in that, in that bridge zone where some women felt comfortable elevating others and then others didn't. And, uh, and she was the first one to be so overt. And, and it actually wasn't about gender for her. She just said, you know, it was for her, it was just, I, I'm here to make sure that you're better and yeah. smarter and more capable so you can take my job. And that connected with me so personally because no one had ever talk to me that way or been so supportive. I I really felt like someone was going to help me in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And and I and it really connected with me. And I hope uh I hope that all of the folks that I've worked with in the industry 
would say that about me because I, I, I really took it to heart. And, and I do think my responsibility is, is elevating not just women, all the people who, who worked with me, but, but there definitely is now an openness. Um, there are more seats at the table. You're not fighting for that one seat. And there's just more room. But I, but I do remember a younger version of myself who, <laughs> you know, wanted a seat at the table. Right. I didn't want to sit behind, you know, when you go into a conference room and you have that big conference room table, yes. and there are always these chairs that line the wall. That's right. I, I never wanted to be in that chair along the wall. I always, I always thought I should be at the table. That's like the kid's table. It is. It is. Yeah. And I just wanted to be at the table. And I thought that, you know, if you, if you do great work and you are contributing in a significant way, you should be at that table and should never be against the wall. And, and fortunately, I do think that things are changing. Yes. And there are just more seats at that table for women and minorities Absolutely. and people who maybe didn't have a room have, where there wasn't room before. Finally. Wow. But what you said, I really think is so important um, to think about for younger women who might be on those in those seats against the wall and thinking about how to get to the table and who are ambitious and want things to happen, just to take a minute and think about the long term and not to take any shortcuts and not to treat anyone poorly because guess what? Life is long. Well, it is. If you are unkind to someone, if you do someone a disservice, it's pretty likely you're going to run across them again. It's so true. And, and you know, it, you, you reminded me, like, back in the day when I was, you know, just out of business school and in one of my very first jobs, I had done really well. And mm -hmm. I kept getting, you know, promoted and promoted and promoted. And there was this other young woman who was feeling competitive with me and I just never paid attention to her. I just didn't care. Like I just was again just doing my doing my doing my thing, like doing my work and trying to do great work every day. And uh -oh. um the assistant who was supporting the two of us came into my office one day and she said, Andrea, Stephanie is saying the worst things about you. And I, I looked at her and, and I was like in the middle of something. And I'm like, what? And she said she is saying the most horrible things about you to all the departments. She's been doing it for weeks. It's really bad and you have to do something about it. Hmm. And I just remember sitting there thinking, first of all, who has that kind of time? Like I'm working all day. And secondly, why would you want to do that to anybody, let alone a peer? And it was her raw ambition. And I remember to this day saying to uh, the woman who was the assistant, I said, you know what? I will never be the person who gets down in the dirt and scratches for something. Like, I won't do it. I'm not going to scratch. And I'm not going to do anything about it. And if this organization doesn't value me and my work, so be it. But I'm not going to play that game. And, you know, lo and behold, we were in a meeting, a like maybe a couple of weeks later, and she was trying openly to, to denigrate my work. And the woman who was leading the organization at the time, you know, put her in her place and said, absolutely not. And again, that really connected with me because here's another female leader standing up for me, supporting me and like correcting what was clearly a wrong. And uh, Stephanie left the organization soon thereafter. Like, hmm. you know, one day she just wasn't there anymore. What and do you I know? was walking, well, interestingly enough, fast forward a year and a half. 
And I was walking down 57th Street because I was going to get my hair done. And she passed me and stopped me and said, Andrea. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, I just have to say, I am so sorry. Wow. I, I am so sorry for what I did to you. And I know it was wow. wrong. And I wanted to reach out and I didn't because huh. I just didn't know what to say. But I want you to know I'm sorry. And, and again, you know, you think about these things and you, it, it's sort of, there is this journey in life. And but wait a minute, I, wait a minute, wait, 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 what did you feel? So this woman, you hadn't seen her at all. She comes no. up to you <laughs> out of nowhere on the street and says this. How did you feel when she said that to you? Well, I was surprised because I she bet. was never somebody who would ever apologize for anything. Yeah. And I was sort of taken aback because I was also, quite frankly, I was angry because she really had done some damage. Makes um, sense. Yeah. To me personally. Yep. And at the same time, I felt vindicated, right? Like, right. I was like, yes, finally. Wow, and, then I, you know, and then I have to say, I thought respect because yeah, you have to courage, respect right? someone who, yeah, it takes courage to say, I'm sorry. Take responsibility and I, and I really for what you did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I said, you know, and I said, you know, thank you. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I hope you're well and just kept walking. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, but I, I, you know, I have to say, I give her a lot of respect for sort of owning up to it, regardless of when or how. I mean, she had a moment and she could have walked past me and done nothing, right. um, but she didn't. And so uh, wow. you know, kudos to her for that. That is a really important story. There's one other thing that you said that I just want to go back to. So the assistant alerted you that this woman was spreading rumors and said, you have to do something, right? You kind of said... First of all, I'm too busy. And second of all, I don't know what I'm going to do. You didn't do anything. You waited for the person who was the superior to both of you to take the appropriate action. That is something that a lot of younger people do not understand, like the chain of command, and that if you respect that, it can protect you. It can. It can. And I will tell you, the woman who, who spoke up in that meeting, mm -hmm. still in my industry today, I consider her to be a great mentor. I see her at okay. industry events. I always say I learned everything I know about beauty from you. <laughs> and it's it's been a it's been a twenty plus year and I don't see her that often and it's not right. as if we're dear friends, but right. I have always had respect for her because she did the right thing. She she, you know, recognized a wrong and, and right. fixed it and fixed it quickly. Right. Uh, and, and that made me also feel supported. Um, great. In the That's organization. So great. And, yeah. You also, you also demonstrated a lot of, for lack of a better word, like faith, not so much, not in a religious way, but like faith that things would work out. I am a huge believer that things always work out. Like I just, that's how I wake up every day. I, I, it is my, it is the way I live. Mm -hmm. It is mm -hmm. how I live my entire life, not just my work life. Right. Uh, I wake up every day and I expect things to go well. I expect to win. I expect to succeed. And if you, and I think having that expectation, it's mm -hmm. amazing how things simply, they do fall, fall in line. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to work really crazy hard and it doesn't yeah. mean that you don't have to go the extra mile. But just, right. if you start from a place of expectation, sky's the limit. Like I have had opportunities that I could not have conceived of. 
And right. I feel so fortunate for that. Exactly. And I, and I do, and, and it's, 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 you can manifest a life that you want, but you have to have the right orientation. And I'm right. also someone who never hears no. And I also am someone who always sees the glass half full. So optimism, and, uh, you know, intention, optimism. expectation. Yes. These things are all really yes. important. Yes. Yes. Very yes. important. And have they have tangible outcomes in our lives? Because I think a lot of people don't understand the direct relationship between what you think, what you're thinking about yourself and about the world and the way that the world experiences you and what happens. I just think a lot of people don't, don't understand how important that is. And, but you clearly do. And you just said something really important. It's, it's sort of how the world engages with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that being aware that what, when you walk into a room, regardless of who you are, you have an impact on that room. Right. And it's really your choice on whether that impact is positive or negative. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that, or I, I want to live my life in a way that, it's a positive impact. And do I, do I always succeed? No, uh, you know, of course, no, no one does, but it's always my intention to walk into a room, make a positive impact and also leave the same way. Well, I think that that's another way in which you've been very successful as a completely unobjective observer of you over many decades. I have to say that you consistently do that. So bravo. Thank you, Maya. Thank you, my Thank friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule today. Really appreciate it. Well, always time for you. So um, thank you so much. Thank you all for joining the conversation today. Remember, stay present and share your story. Stories bring us together and together we all win. Stories from the Brink is produced by Billy Robinson, hosted by me, Maya Brown, music by Octopus Kid.